Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in the book of John. We're going to be at the end of chapter 4 into the first part of chapter 5. If you want a Bible that you can put in your lap, uh, feel free to grab one off the sides of the tech booth. If you're a user of the Bible app, uh, I invite you just to uh, open up that app and find our live event. That's great. Um, every uh, Sunday that is right before the 4th of July. This is my little pre-speech, and so let me go ahead and give it here. Um, some people ask, are we doing a patriotic service or anything like that? No, we're not. Um, we are so patriotic that we think the absolute best thing for our country that we love. Amen? Yes? The absolute best thing for our country is for the church to be the best church, version of church that it can be. In order for the church to be the best version of church that it can be, we need to worship the Lord and preach the word. So that's what we're going to do. Amen to that? Okay, here we go. John chapter 4. That's the intro to the sermon. You're welcome. Uh, verse 43. After two days, uh, after those two days, he departed. Jesus departed. So he left um, where he was ministering there uh, with a Samaritan woman who he met at the well and all that. That's the, just catching up. After two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Um, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him uh, for all that he had done, excuse me, for they, having seen all that they, he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, they too had gone to the feast. There will always be uh, people who want to see the show. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him uh, to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, uh, unless you see, uh, now pause right there, uh, because what's, what gets hidden a little bit, we need to bring out because we're in Texas. Okay, so if we had a Texan version of the Bible, verse 46, and you can write this down in your Bible if you would like. Verse 46 says, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. Those are both plural. He's talking to a single individual, but he's really talking to the group around him. Okay. So it would be, you know, like, like me looking at somebody directly, but saying, Hey, unless y'all do this, this is what he's doing. Okay. Um, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Uh, quite literally, it's your son lives. Uh, the, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him, told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour which he began to get better. He said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed. Oh, and Lord, let it be in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Um, I want to start by reminding us of the purpose of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 20, verse 31, um, he, the, uh, John writes and he says, I'm putting this on paper like I am writing this down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you will have life in his name. That's the invitation, is to put your trust in Jesus, the Messiah, who is God, come for us to do the work uh, that, that God wants to do here um, in us and through us. To, to, to do that, to put your faith in him, and then by believing, you would have life in his name. And so the idea here is for us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life. So I spent the week asking the question, God, what do you want us to believe out of this? Like, what about this should prompt our faith? Um, and, and really, it's about this, that the power and authority of Jesus is not limited. 
power and authority of Jesus is not limited. And there's two particular ways that this uh, uh, kind of expresses itself. It is not limited by distance. So let's back up here uh, to verse 47. Uh, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went um, to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So the guy left his town, went up to where Jesus was. Jesus, come down. This is the idea. <clears throat> verse um, Excuse me. And then uh, previously you had all of this kind of noise um, around. And that's why Jesus says in verse uh, uh, 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you all see signs, y'all won't believe. Um, so here's, here's the thing that I just want to, and we'll just kind of tour guide um, through the passage here. Um, when it comes to Jesus, uh, the sickness, where was the sickness? The sickness was back at home. The sickness was um, in the guy's house. The sickness was in a different town. But where was the pain? It was right in front of him. It was right in front of Jesus. So here's the deal. If you want to know where Jesus is at work, look for people who are hurting. Team J, you will encounter some kids this week. If you want to know where Jesus is at work, I'm sure it's going to be on the uh, inflatables and the Euro bungee and all of that stuff. And it will be among those who are hurting because there will be kids who roll in here hurting. Some of you are going to go to your offices this week. And in the four days that you have there, you're going to bump into pain. And you want to know where Jesus is going to be. Where's he going to be? He's going to be right there. The sickness was in a different place, but the pain was right there. I say that because the dad's coming before Jesus. And what is he doing? He's just offering himself like, you've got to come help my kid, man. And for those of you who have experienced kids with, with significant sickness, you know there is no pain like that proxy pain right there. Like you would be glad to crawl out of your skin to switch places if you could. Stick the IV in me. Do it. You would. The pain was right in front of him. Um, others will want Jesus um, to make the magic happen, like do the trick. Hey, Jesus, water to wine again. That was pretty awesome. Made for a good party too. Like that was amazing. But if you want Jesus the magician, you will miss Jesus the Messiah. Because his power is not limited by distance. The dad's priority, it was the son. Um, and so the pain sometimes creates distance. I'm hurting so bad that I am barely able to see outside of this pain that I'm experiencing. And the noise outside by the crowd around, that creates distance too. Whether it's noise around you in the culture or whether it's your own pain right now, I want you to know that his healing power and authority is not limited by whatever distance you may feel. Secondly, look at how Jesus handles this. Verse 49, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Like, that's his only priority. Like, I don't care what those other knuckleheads are saying. Let's just deal with this right here. Come down before my child dies. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. Your son will live. He healed with a word. This is how Jesus did it most of the time. He spoke. and had, Why? Why? Because what's he doing? Uh, because... Um, when the creator speaks, crazy stuff happens, right? Like, let there be light, poof, light. Let there be healing, poof, healing. He heals with a word. And so for us to be uh, um, familiar with, to understand, to be connected to, to, to be um, kind of intimately engaged with Jesus as he speaks, this is where he speaks. Let's be people who um, are here. Th those, I just note here um, that those who wanted to see the fireworks, they didn't actually get to see the fireworks. Like, hey, Jesus, water to wine. That was awesome. Hey, Jesus, heal the guy. That'd be great. Hey, Jesus, do the thing. Those who, do, like, they didn't see it. 
Because the kid was in a different town, right? So, like, Jesus spoke the word and brought healing. It happened instantaneously, and there were not people around. The, the people who were asking um, for, for the magic show and the entertainment, they did not see what happened. It was the father who believed, and he came to see. Because Jesus is about wholeness and not about entertainment. The father believed, and then he saw. This is typically how it works. You believe, and then you see. It's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, as he's talking about our lives here on this earth, and and man, one of these days we're going to get to put off these earthly tents and and step into um, something more glorious than we can even imagine. But he says, for this moment, we walk by, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Believed, and then he saw. And some of you are in a spot right now, I just want to say to you, um, the faith that you um, are expressing through the perseverance and steadfastness and faithfulness that you are, are just kind of day by day walking out, that right there is going to let you see what Jesus is going to do. He's not limited by distance. His power and authority is not limited by distance. Last thing, um, uh, he, he asked his servants, hey, hey, when was this? Verse 52, they asked him when the hour began to get better. He said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in all his household. His uh, faith solidified because of this miracle. His faith, like, became concrete, real because of this miracle. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that you can do this. I believe in you that when you say what you say, about like, and then it became real. He saw it. And it was so effective in him that it, like, spread out to his entire household. Um, uh, kids, spouse, servants in the house, the guy who comes and Moses alone. I mean, everybody, everybody believed because of this. It so affected him. His faith solidified because of this miracle. And so I I just want to point this one thing out. Jesus had compassion on this dad. Gave him his care and kindness on this dad. And that translated into a miracle in the life of his son. But it was that moment right there where his care and kindness to this dad... um, created all of this kind of faith, not just in the dead, but it it brought forth faith in an entire household. There are times when the compassion and the care of Jesus um, expressed um, to people becomes the doorway through which they walk in order to come to know Jesus. Something along the lines of Paul in Romans 2, verse 4, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. For some of us, Um, I just, the world is pockmarked with cruelty and the scars of it. We, the people of God, who have experienced what we sing about just a few moments ago, mercy, there was great and grace was free. If we're so saturated by that then we get to walk out with the care and compassion of Jesus to those who are around us who sin like us and who don't sin like us, who sin in the ways that we approve of and sin in the ways that we don't. 
And we get to offer care and compassion. And it may very well be that it's our kindness there that leads him to repentance. Lord, let it be. His healing power, his authority is not limited by distance. So here we go. Pick up chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I want you to carefully watch here what's happening. Um, Be be sure and note the verse numbers too, okay? Because it's really important. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called uh, Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. That's uh, porches, okay? Um, in, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, did we miss anything? Yes, you weren't, lo- you weren't looking at your verses, were you? I told you to look carefully, and you did not pay attention. Somebody stand up and read verse 4. It's not there. Who stole verse 4? That's my question. If you look carefully, there's not a verse 4 in John chapter 5. You may have a little note that says, some manuscripts add a, uh, add a verse that says, the angel would go and stir the waters, blah, 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 right? Okay, so I actually took a poll of the staff just to make sure that this is the direction we should go. Here's a very, very quick excursus, and it has a chart for all you engineers in the room. Yes? But the question is, who stole verse 4? This is a problem. It's not a problem. Let's, let's just walk through. We did a whole Bible thing uh, uh, not too long ago. Let's just put this uh, kind of, maybe it'll keep some things for you. Okay, so John wrote the gospel, uh, depending upon how you date it, you know, 70 AD-ish, or some people date it later, some people date it in the early 60s, fine. John wrote the gospel. And you know, back in the day, I know this is hard for some of you to believe, back in the day, you could not take a picture of it and turn it into a PDF. I mean, like, you couldn't scan it. There was not a copy machine. How did you copy a manuscript in the first century? You grabbed your little quill and you go into writing, right? Your little stylus and you wrote it on parchment, this kind of thing. So you had to copy by hand. Copy A, copy B, copy C, copy D, and on and on and on, right? You had all of these copies out there, okay? Um, Copy A went fine. We have multiple copies of that. Copy B went fine. We have multiple copies. Copy D went fine. And you know how this goes. I'm summarizing all this material. But copy D was fine. However, copy C, it literally has an asterisk beside it because when they copied, you can go back and trace some of this um, over the course of about a 500-year period. People would literally put an asterisk right there being like, uh, we're not sure what happened here. What happened was, because they've got enough manuscript evidence to kind of chart this out, John wrote the gospel. There was a a particular copy. um, It showed up in the ballpark of 600 or so um, AD, so about 500-something years later. And and some of them had a footnote because the question would be like, in verse 7 it says something about stirring the water, and then you got this. You're like, what was happening with the stirring the water? So somebody put a footnote at the bottom that said they believed that an angel stirred the water and that the first person in would get healed, right? Like this is kind of an explainer verse. That footnote in, the, in some pre, uh, um, excuse me, succeeding iteration of that, that footnote became an emendation, meaning it got put into the text. So somebody's writing along and he's like, oh yeah, we need to put that in there. It's, I don't know why it's at the bottom of the page. And so he pulls it up out of the footnote section and into the regular text. Now, is that malicious? Is that terrible? 
you know, should we find that person, go dig up their bones and stomp on them or something? Like, what should we do? Nothing, nothing. So that emendation has, that kind of family tree of manuscripts became an emendation. That emendation made its way into Textus Receptus. Everybody say Textus Receptus. You sound so smart when you say that. It's a big, fat copy um, of, the, of, the, um, of the Bible that ultimately um, the King James Version was translated from. Okay? And the King James Version put it in there. King James Version, hands down, the most influential book in the English language, probably in the Western world. Uh, so that's why verse 4 was in there, and that's why you have a note in there. Had we had, had, we had King James translated from copy A or copy B or whatever, like we wouldn't have necessarily known about the question about the angel stirring the water and the footnote becoming part of the verse. Blah, 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 blah. So does that make, first of all, does that make sense to everybody? You come find me later if you have questions. Question number two, uh, does that shake my confidence in the scriptures? Only to the degree that my theology hangs on an angel stirring the waters, which is exactly zero. Jesus got up from the dead. I'm basing my theology on that. Okay? Now, if God did it through an earthquake, if God did it through a gas bubble, if God did it through a breeze that blew through, if God sent an angel, I don't really care. I just know that Jesus got up from the grave, and that is what matters the most. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, great. So who stole verse 4? Well, nobody, really. Okay, like, but they're just, that's not even the important part, but I thought it was important enough to say it. All right, here we go. Verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, and I just want to pause because we're going to read the rest of the story and, again, just kind of point these things out. If, if the power and authority of Jesus are not limited by distance, then the power and authority of Jesus are also not limited by the brokenness that he encounters. And I'm going to go ahead and put it to you right now. Some of us walk in today with significant brokenness. Some of us walk in today carrying brokenness. And the best thing that we could do is offer that to him. He is not put off by it. He's not scared by it. And he's the only one in the room who can do something about it. What kind of brokenness are we talking about? Well, verse, again, verse 5. There's a man there who's been laying 38 years. We're talking about physical brokenness. We're talking about a guy who had been paralyzed for 38 years. Whether he was 38 years old or older, we're not sure. But what that translates into is... Somebody in his family had to take him, drag him, um, pull him, put him on a cart. I don't know how it happened. Get him from his house um, to the pool of Bethesda there. And then go to work. And then after they were done at work, what would they do? They would come back, pick him up, and take him home so that he could eat dinner. And then the next day, guess what they would do? Get up and do the exact same thing over and over again. Some of you know what it's like to deal with, to reckon with, to struggle with, and to have the same cycle on repeat of people who need your care because of the physical brokenness in their life. Some of you know. And you know that that is hard. And I want you to know that Jesus knows too. He sees all the things that they went through. He sees what the man went through. He sees what his family went through. Physical 38 years is a long time, folks. Um, secondly, verse 6. Uh, when Jesus saw him lying there, knew that, our, uh, knew that he had been uh, there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? We'll come back in a second. The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down in front of me. 
Um, I, I didn't know what other, world to come, uh, what other word to come to, but worldview brokenness. They interpret the world wrongly. They don't get Jesus right. And because they don't get Jesus right, nothing else makes sense. This guy's laying there. Jesus, you want to be healed? It's like, Jesus, you look like a, I mean, you did some carpentry work, right? When you were young? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look like you're strong enough to pick me up and throw me into the water. Jesus is not interested in picking the guy up and throwing him in the water. Jesus is interested in bringing a whole different kind of healing to him. <clears throat> if, if we don't get Jesus right, then we mess up a lot. A whole lot. We can't get anything else right. And so the worldview brokenness is not my hope is in the water. I mean, because that's how some of us live. Uh, man, I, I, I hope my hope is in this. My, man, the miracle that I'm, I'm, I know is going to come is going to come from this. And like you have that kind of uh, um, approach, um, that kind of understanding, that kind of worldview that is just completely out of whack. It just isn't right. And so the brokenness in his worldview is a misplaced hope. Now back up to verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, knew he had been there a long time, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool. And while I'm going, another one steps around before you. There's also this kind of emotional brokenness. So you see it in his physical body. You see it in his um, worldview and understanding of how the world is supposed to work. And you see it in his emotions. I'm never going to make it in. Nothing's ever going to change. Like, there's nobody here to do what I need done. This kind of emotional brokenness. You hear a little bit of the victim mentality, which is so incredibly popular in our culture. Oh, well, you know, I'm going down another step in front of me. They don't treat me right. That kind of emotional brokenness can express itself. It, well, it's why Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? Now, if, if you're like me and you're reading the story, and you're like, hey, Jesus, you asked some really great questions in life. That one, that seems dumb. I mean, you with me on this? Like, the guy's been laying there for 38 years. He gets hauled around on a cart or however it happens. Hey, you want to get better? You want to stand up and walk? And the guy's like, well, of course. I mean, you and I, we're reading this story. Like, of course the guy wants to get up and walk. Of course he wants to be healed. So why does Jesus ask the question? Because not everybody actually wants to get healed. It, it may sound like, how will I feel without this? It may sound like, how will I interact with others? Or um, how will it affect others? Okay, so if I get healed and my family dynamics change, like I get healthy and things are different for me, they don't have to drag me here anymore. They don't have to bring me here anymore. They don't have to make sure that I get back. They don't have to make sure blah, 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 blah. Like how will then that not only affect me and my interaction with people, but then how will that affect our family dynamics? Um, who am I going to be without this thing? Like, I've, I've been here for 38 years. Like, I don't know who I am apart from this. Um, how, or excuse me, where will the source of my comfort come from? The comfort that I had previously was the hope that I could get into the water, somehow like bear crawl, like army crawl into the water before somebody else. Where am I going to get comfort now? How will I be known? I used to be the guy that uh, the family dropped off at the pool. How will I be known? How will I tell my story as a result of this? What will be required of me if change comes? Because if I get healed, change comes, now what? 
Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? Because he knows, he knows that the, there is a kind of brokenness that just settles in and we embrace it as our identity. And we have no idea who we would be without it. So I'll give you two great theologians here. The first one is Ellis uh, Reddington. Anybody? Oh, excuse me, Ellis Redding. Anybody? Ellis, right? This guy right here. Red, Shawshank, like pretty dang close to the perfect movie. Red's talking to Andy Dufresne. He's talking about the nature of being in prison. Here's what he says. These walls are funny. First, you hate them. Then, you get used to them. Enough time passes. And what? So you depend on them. Enough time passes, so you depend on them. If you know the movie, you know how that theme kind of works itself out. Here's possibly a a more familiar theologian, C.S. Lewis. A familiar captivity is frequently more desirable than an unfamiliar freedom. Do you want to be healed? If something happens in me, then something will change in me and what then? A familiar captivity. Ah, I'll just I'll kind of keep this habit around for now. I'll, 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 I'll I mean I can do this a little bit. I can just hold on to this part. A familiar captivity is frequently more desirable than an unfamiliar freedom. But here's what I want to say: Jesus asked the question because he really does want to bring healing to our brokenness. He's not scared of it. He's not put off by it. He really wants to bring healing. Two, two more, real quick. I've got to turn the page here. Um, so Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed uh, and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. And now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed and walk. There is a kind of religious brokenness that's centered on rules and, and is permeated with a lack of perspective. You got a cat who was literally laying there five minutes ago. He's been laying there for 38 years. He stands up, he walks, he grabs his mat and he's like, Okay, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And then the religious police are like, you shouldn't be carrying your mat. The dude got healed after 38 years. Like, could you have a little perspective? Because they didn't, they couldn't, they couldn't have perspective. Why? Because religion, what it does is it blinds us to that kind of perspective. That kind of rules-based orientation in life blinds us to that kind of perspective. Why? Because it's all about respect. Religion is the place where people run to be respected when they have lost the courage to be real. And so they build all these rules. Uh, We've got this rule, one of the big ten, um, uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, then they stuck 39 rules and a fence around it. I looked them up this week, just so you know, here's what was prohibited in the first century. On the Sabbath, no carrying which is applicable here. No carrying, uh, no burning, no extinguishing, no finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, which I don't know what that means, uh, sifting, uh, grinding, kneading, um, 
combing, uh, spinning, dyeing, chain-stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, or marking. You can't do any of those things on the Sabbath. And the very first thing is, take up your mat and walk. Jesus knows what he's doing, and it's twofold. One, it's to prompt to the, the, the culture around, like the, the, the moment, it was to prompt, look how ridiculous this is. But also, it's to tell the man, don't leave your mat there. I don't ever want you going back. There is a kind of religious brokenness where rules are the ultimate authority. And uh, the kind of respect and appearances are everything. Jesus is just not having that. He comes to heal from that right there. He, I will just say this. He, he only deals with our brokenness on his terms, he, not, not, on, not, on, um, not on ours. But he, he does want to. Last thing, um, th- this spiritual brokenness. So, come on, Trent. There we go. Um, <clears throat> uh, verse 11, he answered the man, excuse me, he answered, the man who healed me, the man who said, take up your mat, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Because they bring in the Sabbath. Shame on them. Uh, verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had pulled back. He had withdrawn. There was a big crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Good news. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What in the world is he talking about? What could be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? Being separated from God forever. There's a kind of spiritual brokenness that has ravaged every one of us. That's why Paul says all, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had been healed. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Completely missed it, right? But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I'm working. Here's the question. Working? What, what are we talking about here? What's he doing? How was he at work? Well, he takes people in their brokenness who know that they are broken. He takes people who know of their need, and he says, do you want to be healed? He takes the people who are far off and he says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to experience the reality of the power that is not uh, limited by their brokenness? He takes people who are far off. And he takes people who don't know that they're broken. He challenges their assumptions and he offers them a kind of healing from their life of rules and lack of perspective. And he offers them a whole new kind of life too. Jesus is working among those who know that they're broken and those who pretend they are not. He, he is working among those who are far away and in need of grace and those who are very, very close and in need of grace. And it all flows from the cross. It all comes from the cross. Because there Jesus deals with our brokenness. The things that have wrecked us, he took on himself. He bore in his body that kind of power and the kind of shame that comes along with it in order that you and I could experience the wholeness that he offers. It's a reminder for us. We can't accomplish these things on our own. We will never do these things on our own. In our own lives or anybody else's. 
Jesus is not limited by the distance that we may feel, or maybe it may actually be real. And he is not limited by whatever version of brokenness I bring to the table. And that is such incredible news. So we come to communion to remember exactly that. Jesus has given his life, taking on our sin and our shame so that we don't have to bear it anymore. And he's offered his blood for our forgiveness so that we don't have to try harder. Oh God, I'm just going to make another promise and this time I really mean it. His blood satisfies all the requirements so that you and I can be made right with God on God's terms instead of me trying to earn it on mine. We come to communion to remember this because we've got so many new uh, visitors in the room, new folks in the room. I just want to say, there's five stations around. At any point over the next several minutes, after I pray, at any point over the next several minutes, you can go to any of the stations. Take communion. You can go with, by yourself. You can go with your family. You can do groups, however you want to do it. But we, we will celebrate communion and remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. His power and authority is unlimited by the distance we may feel, or that it is real. And his power and authority are unlimited by whatever brokenness we bring to the table. Anybody who's a follower of Jesus is welcome, is welcome to participate. And if you're in here and you're not, or you're watching online and you're not, you want to start a conversation about what it means to follow, I'll be hanging around. I would love to have that conversation. Let me pray right now. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name, because he has done what he has done, and because he is who he says he is, I ask you um, that you would speak to your people now and uh, challenge us, push us, put your finger on places that we may not even want you to, but that will change us as a result. God, if we've got respectable brokenness, I pray that we would bring it to the table. If we have unrespectable, irrespectable brokenness, I pray that we would bring that to the table. If the pain is too great to bear, I pray that we would bring that to you today. You're not limited. You can do what you say you can do. And for that, we're grateful. As we celebrate communion, please remind us of this. In Jesus' name, amen.